Welcome to Twig 219. We have Mr. Eric Seifert here, Laura, and Phil back in the house, and of course, Mr. Eric Kress. Um, we are going to chat all things all the time. We're talking about hyper casual is dead for all those that didn't get the memo like six months ago. <laughs> We're going to also talk about um quick, quick update on the Microsoft, uh, you know, disaster of a deal that's going on right now from the UK. A little thing about Supercell, you know, lots of other stuff, some, some earning stuff, but not too much because why am I going to sacrifice my business to talk about it on a podcast? And then also a quick <laughs> update on Hogwarts, Hogwarts legacy. Um, anyway, uh, first off, we'd like to say, uh, you know, quick uh, Turkey update and deconstructor fun. Uh, you know, obviously they had a huge earthquake, a 7.7 earthquake. Thoughts and prayers are out to those who've been affected. Um, we have a, a link on the Deconstructor of Fun newsletter to for donations. Just maybe quickly, it was the southeastern part of Turkey along the border with Syria. Oh, one quick update that I was going to do um, is actually no. I'll get I'll get to it in a minute because we're there's an update on the Rovio thing as well that is actually really interesting. Is back to, basically exactly what I said, but I, I we'll, we'll talk about it in a moment. Um, so continue. Who's doing the Last of Us? Me. So super quick. Um, Last of Us television show was greenlit for season two, and the reason this is worth noting um, is because it is unusual to have this happen so quickly. Um, it's usually the result of high demand or ratings, so it speaks highly to the quality of the show so far. So I'm excited. We should be excited. There's going to be a season two. Oh yeah, um, well, a, what a great show! I mean, they, it, they've just knocked this one out of the park. Uh, yeah, so far so good, yeah, man. I agree. Um, yeah. I've. Actually, I have another quick update for us uh, Nintendo fans. They are streaming. Nintendo Direct is happening today, Wednesday the 8th at 2 p.m. Pacific, and they're going to be looking at the launches of this half of 2023. So they're... Dude, they just they just pooped out the quarter, this last one, man. I, they really disappointed uh, Wall Street uh, on this quarter. And I think... You know what's funny? Like These these directs... We haven't seen a direct in a long time, but I think these directs are, are opportunistic tunistically put where they need to build more buzz for their for their uh for their uh products right but yes let's let's get excited because they're clearly going to talk about zelda yep god damn it if they talk about new hardware i will like the the stock will go to the moon but i doubt they don't do that on directs but they that's what they really need they need, oh we were going to talk about it later but they need to get off their ass and get a hardware new hardware skew out to get more engagement in the fucking platform annoying okay moving on and then next next update, um, quick, not as quick as the other ones. Uh, exciting Supercell has a new game in closed beta called Squad Busters. Uh, you can sign up for it. Um, I, it. When I wrote this, I don't know how long the, the beta is. I think it was a week, so I don't know if you can still sign up for it as of the recording of the podcast, but it was in um, Canada for Android. There's an official trailer on the website if you want to check it out. I watched, I'm not in Canada, nor do I really have an Android device. So I ended up watching some YouTube videos. Um, one, one gentleman in particular called Orange Juice Gaming. I was watching him play it on his YouTube channel. How I would describe it, it looks like Artro meets Battle Royale with a hint of character collection. Um, Phil, uh, Philip will go into, he has, he has more on the uh, gameplay flow. 
after after the kind of this preamble. The goal is to grab the most gems before times run out or you die. And in this case, at least in this beta, you don't respawn, which is interesting. There's PvP, but from watching the video, uh, it seems there's I can't I feel like they haven't quite found. There's a little bit of a balance between wanting to attack your enemy, attack the other players for their to grab their gems. Um, and grab their coins, but then there's also enemies you can fight. So there, I feel like there's a balance that they're gonna they're gonna tackle in terms of finding the right mix of the two. Um, what I think will make this game interesting will be the ability for players to employ different strategies. So right now they only seem to have one board, but if if I think that the beta goes well, one one way that I think that they can add to make this a really interesting concept is having lots of different boards, different characters, and being able to mix those two for um, for players to kind of find their find their own way and find what works. Um, but given it's a beta, I don't think they. I mean, obviously, they don't have this content yet. Um, and one reason I'm going to play it is actually they have the Heyday Chicken as one of the characters you can recruit and play with, and it was it's so funny. <laughs> I would play oh, it. Oh, IP that. Flex. Oh, I think it's great. <laughs> anyway, uh, Philip. Laura, Laura, you got to get out more. Seriously. <laughs> I know. <laughs> is this like is no this like IP. a MOBA? No, so I would say the way the way I've tried to describe it is if Pikmin met a battle royale. So you can imagine that you're spawning and collecting people that will join your squad squad or your mob in the context of the round. And so you can engage in PvE activities. So you can go in and you can chop down some wood. You chop down some wood, you'll get some coins. If you get enough coins, you can open these chests, which lets you recruit a member to your squad. And of course they're gonna play with the cost of the chests to think about how they can control progression and pacing. So right now, the cost of the chests increases as the match progresses. So it's beginning progressively harder to add units to your squad. But you're almost specking out a skill tree as the match goes on. So you can think about some battle royale elements and the fact that if you get eliminated, you're still out. You're, you're donezos. But if you have the most amount of gems after the time limit, you've won. So it has some hints of battle royale with kind of like these modern roguelike mechanics where you're building a series or a strategy on the fly, which is super fun. I'm really yeah. excited about this product. Me they too. Are they are using the Brawl Stars core, which I want to commend them for, which helps keep, I'm sure, production costs down. It felt like they're getting out really early in testing demand. So it's really great to see them move in an agile fashion. I hope it didn't take too much time to put this together. Like they're leaning on IP that already exists. They're leaning a lot on the Brawl Stars UI. Um, it's exciting to see Supercell take plays like this, um, take some shots on goal. Uh, you know, who knows if it's going to land anywhere, but I think this is something interesting, and I hope they continue to to grow it. You know, I've been playing quite a bit of Clash Mini. It's another thing I'd like them to grow, but all hope is not lost for Supercell. Uh, I, I still see some really interesting golden eggs that they have. I don't know if they're ready to hatch yet, however. So are you, are you trying to say that you think Supercell is going to be okay? I don't know, man. <laughs> I want to believe, right? It's it's all wishful thinking for them. But I, I do I do think this is the type of product that will work in the new world order, right? More mass market, casual style gameplay. Like it's almost, if shall we say, is it almost as like uh, hyper casual style looking, right? And then whether or not they could add the deep monetization loops and, and get people spending, I mean, that's going to be the big challenge probably for something like this. But, you know, we'll see. It looks good. 
Um, the next one is the UK uh, CMA announces that the Activision Blizzard deal could harm gamers. Uh, this was widely anticipated after the UK <clears throat> objection to this deal. Um, excuse me. Uh, they released their provisional findings today, uh, which raised concerns um, that the deal would re- result in higher prices, fewer choices, and less innovation for UK gamers. Um, they actually focus primarily on cloud gaming, which is... <laughs> Don't get me started on cloud gaming, but they already account for 60 to 70% of the market is what they say. And so by adding Call of Duty to the mix, this would be kind of the, would alter the future of gaming. If, if you believe the cloud is the future of gaming, which I do not, but evidently they do. Um, and, and so those that, so that, that would cause unfair competition in the, in the cloud gaming space. Um, on top of that, uh, he just wants to make sure that, that the British, oh, this is actually more of an interesting quote for me from Martin Coleman. He basically said, they want to make sure the British gamers are not caught in the crossfire of global deals that could damage competition and result in higher prices, fewer choices, and less in- innovation. And so I wrote a piece like on LinkedIn recently, and this is kind of my whole point is like these big conglomerates are using these as lost leaders to b- build share in the consumer business, right? And, and no one else could do this except for them. And 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 that is what creates, I think, some unfairness uh, for these type of deals, uh, particularly given the size and scope of something like Call of Duty. Um, and then, of course, their Deputy General Counsel Rima Ale Lee, whatever from uh, Microsoft, said our commitment to grant long-term 100% equal access to Call of Duty to Sony, Nintendo, Steam, and others preserves the deal's benefit to gamers and developers and increases competition in the market. That is fucking bullshit. Okay, that is a lie. They're not going to be equitable in terms of their treatment of Call of Duty going forward, right? They can say that all they want right now, but that is not what's going to happen, right? So anyway, the CMA has given Microsoft and and any other party uh, time to respond by April 25th. Um, And then Microsoft says they're going to address these concerns. Um, But it's looking more and more likely that they're not going to be successful here. Uh, But, you know, we will see. What happens if they're not? What does breakup look like? Does Bobby go back to being CEO? Is there a transition? They get a big breakup fee. That's what I think a lot of people are speculating on now. It's like they get the breakup fee and then they've got a lot of cash to pursue acquisitions. Yeah, it's like billions. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting calls on that all the time. So most likely they will. Yes, Bobby will be back in, in, in charge. He's ready to take over as far as I understand it. Um, but, uh, they will get a huge cash, uh, from Microsoft, but they could use that either to buy back shares or potentially go after, you know, acquisitions in theory. Um, but they just absolutely reported a blockbuster quarter. Yeah. Like it was crazy. Like, you know, like, I mean, they are just killing it right now with call of duty. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think they're in really, really good shape, uh, as a company right now, they've kind of. It's like the phoenix rising from the ashes. Well, King, but, uh, but King, then, but there are some concerns that if Bobby comes back, there may be more attrition. But we'll, we'll see. King had a great quarter too. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think one thing about the the CMA. So, like, it's important to keep in mind here. This, the CMA, like, it punches above its weight, right? In terms of like a, a competitions authority, in terms with with respect to like worldwide influence, right? Or at least influence on on U.S. deals. So the CMA was 
basically the reason that Facebook had to, had to abandon the acquisition of Giphy, right? The CMA was the one that interjected. And the CMA published a really big, uh, was like a, just a, a very, very extensive mobile ecosystem report last year uh, about, I want to say like nine months ago, um, that, that touched on everything, right? So I had, I had contributed to the ATT piece, but there was a whole section on cloud gaming. Um, and you could kind of interpret or like at least intuit from what they wrote that they see cloud gaming as um, a really, really important like nascent market. And I think that's also reflected here in like what they've said uh, yesterday or it was this morning about the deal. Like they see this as like a really important battleground um, and vector of growth for gaming. And they're very uh, uh, sort of skeptical um, about, you know, any sort of like ownership of that, you know, and, and, and any sort of claim that, well, this is new, it's, it's we own this, this, you know, a very large percent of it, but it'll grow to be like, you know, this big, important, vibrant, um, you know, competition driven market. I think they're very skeptical of those kind of arguments. And I think that's why they're being a little bit proactive. Now, to Eric's point, I don't know that that's true about cloud gaming. My sense is it probably ends up being like a kind of a small niche market. Um, but that the UK CMA's opinion clearly is that it becomes like the next big gaming market. And so it's really important to preemptively preserve competition there. All right. Moving on. This episode is brought to you by Data AI. Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fund really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing the full-on deconstructing first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI, so what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. Want to know how your results stack up against other gaming apps? Well, now you can. AppsFlyer, the industry leader in measurement and mobile analytics, just released a new tool providing benchmarks on 21 key growth metrics for over 20 categories in 25 markets for both iOS and Android. And it's available now for free at appsflyer.com benchmarks. Yes. You heard that correctly, completely free. In just one click, you can easily compare installs, retention, revenue, media cost, and much, much more. With these benchmarks, you'll be able to get intel on your competitors, set goals based on insights from the top 10% of mobile games, explore new markets and growth opportunities, inform soft launches, and understand market dynamics and trends so that you can adapt your UA strategy accordingly. 
Over the past seven years, AppsFlyer's industry data reports, trends, and insights have helped thousands of mobile app marketers to excel at their jobs and grow their apps. Trust them. They know their data. Head to appsflyer.com benchmarks now for more info. Laura, that's you. Yep. Uh, Hogwarts Legacy. Um, so Avalanche Software, a subsidiary of Disney and now Warner Brothers, is uh, launching Hogwarts Legacy on the 10th of this month, so in two days, for PlayStation 5, Xbox, and PC. And if you have none of those devices, you're going to be waiting till April 4th or uh, July 25th, which is when it comes out on Switch. Having a little look at what um, Avalanche made before Legacy, um, they made a bunch of Disney Infinity games until the line was discontinued in 2016, and Disney Interactive closed the studio. A year later, in 2017, it was reopened by Warner Brothers, and in 2020, they announced this game, Hogwarts Legacy. So this game has been in development for at least three years. I mean, I don't know for sure, but just based on the announcements. And it's their second game release since the studio was reopened. Uh, Cars 3 was their first. So how did it do? Um, actually, they they should be quite happy. Metacritic gave it an average score of 85. Um, the I think the Xbox ver- version was uh, 89. PlayStation 1 was uh, 83, something like that. So I averaged it to about 85, which is a great score. It seems like a win for Harry Potter fans looking for an immersive game that's true to the story. There seem to be a few technical issues like frame rate and lighting inconsistencies. However, it's been a while since the last great Harry Potter game. And now that this team has one under their belt, hopefully they'll be making more to come. So thoughts? Have anyone else watched the uh, gameplay or trailers? It is. Uh, it's I blown- pre-ordered the game. I played it. Did you play it, Phil? Uh, no, I don't. I don't play console games. If it's not live service, if I can't get any learnings from it, I, unfortunately, it's it's not it's not worthy. Oh my god! <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I'm the only one. So I played the opening sequence. So I'm not very far in. Maybe like an hour max. Right. Uh, the production value is absolutely amazing, and even the story setup seems seems really good. I mean, if you if you want to play <laughs> as a wizard in this world, like this is it. Um, it's actually, a, it seems like a pretty amazing experience. Um, you know, I, I, as I said, I think this game could probably do over 12 million units. It looks like it's going to be huge. The pr- only uh, challenge right now is it's only on next gen. Um, it's coming on current gen in a, a month or so, which is. <laughs> Why would you not time not, those? Not, not, no. <laughs> not, not a good execution, but you know, from uh, our friends, but, uh, um, but, but nonetheless, um, it's been a long process and i think uh uh, the game looks like it's going to do extremely well for them um anyway quick quick update on rovio okay so first of all the term that i was trying to get out of my old brain was uh bear hug letter so when platika did an offering of an unsolicited bid for rovio it was it's what's known as a bear hug letter um and Rovio announced today or yes, a Monday that they are starting a strategic review and preliminary talks over a potential takeover. And that's exactly what a bear hug letter goal is, right? Is to get force the board to consider the offer from Platika, right? But the other result of this is that it, it opens up more bidders, other bidders to bid on the company, right? So it creates competition because now everyone knows that Rovio is in play. Um, so, the Rovio board has basically said, pursuant to our fiduciary duties, the board of Rovio continues to explore all strategic alternatives in order to reach the best possible outcome for Rovio and its shareholders. Of course, 
this is kind of bullshit, right? Because the fa- fundamental thing is that the company is owned by majority by the family and also loyal Finnish, like, you know, pension funds. And it's up to the family whether they sell or not. So every other shareholder could go eat crap or whatever, <laughs> right? So I think in Finland, I think I read somewhere or someone put something out there, you need like 90% approval rating to get a deal done. So ultimately, it's up to the family, right? And as I said before, there's generations of the family that are working and getting insane salaries at Rovio. And so they, I, I don't know, I'm, they might want to keep that, you know, to keep the legacy going, right? But, uh, but in my opinion, actually, Rovio is a great asset that is being underutilized and therefore should be sold to someone that's going to utilize it better. But we will see uh, what ends up happening with this process. Um, but as we talked about before, I don't know if Playtika is the right one. There's clearly insane amounts of cultural challenges and differences between the two companies, but maybe something else will happen. Yeah, I think um, so. For anyone who wants a uh, cinematic slash uh, dramatic depiction of a bear hug, Succession uh, featured the the HBO series featured uh, a sort of bear hug dynamic when uh, Kendall Roy was trying to take the company from uh, Logan Roy. And I think, I think, I don't remember exactly, but I think like Logan Roy goes something like, oh shit, it's a bear hug. Uh, very, very <laughs> dramatically. And so um, you, you can watch that episode to get, to get a better sense. A uh, lot of chatter about this deal happening right now. I'm hearing, hearing a lot of chatter. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens when it plays out. It seems like it could be kind of uh, dramatic and, and, uh, and exciting to watch. Uh, one thing about a bear hug, though, is that often it, it, it uh, precedes a, a hostile takeover attempt. So uh, we'll yeah, see. I, I, I just don't think a hostile takeover is doable in this context, right? I think the, I think it ends here to some degree. Like they they have to negotiate themselves, but because because you have to, you know, they, you have to be able to capture enough shareholders to yeah. outvote the, the senior management and or. But in this case, because it's so closely held, like yeah. that's not even an option, right? Yeah. So and if it's a ninety percent threshold, then that even makes it even poss- more impossible. Yeah, this is, I, I, I uh, uh, used, uh, super used, had a good article about this, and he talks about the 90% threshold, and he, he had a graph oh, of- Oh, right, the, that's where I got it. Yeah, he, he had a graph of the ownership, and it's that's 33% it. individual, right? So, you know, you've got 42% strategics, 35% institutional. Uh, given that it's Finland, I don't know that they would sort of just say, well, we're going to accept the best deal. There might be like some loyalty uh, dynamics at yeah, play, no. but- the thirty-three percent individual, I think, you know, you've got to you've got to capture like a the majority of that in order to get to the ninety percent. And I don't know, I don't know if that's possible. If I had eight hundred, maybe there could be pocket, maybe there could be a go ahead. hold on, maybe there could be a coup in the family, right? Oof. Like a, yes, maybe that would be the drama that plays out, right? Oh man, the sons are like enough of this, we're selling. So Rovio yeah. takeover meets succession is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Basically, let's do this. Let's do oh, it. Yeah, I, I, I'm fascinated. We talked I'm about TV eyes. Right. We'll have a TV movie about it. <laughs> Put a bird in a cage. I don't know. There's a lot of easy headlines and graphics that come with this. Right. Yeah. We could modernize the bird brand and then it could, it, I mean, that that's a story, a new television show that would just sell itself. I think so. Yeah. There you go. That's the, that's the next movie. <laughs> that's the next Angry Birds movie. <laughs> All right, Knockout City. This is a article that is out of GameSpot, and it is talking about the fact that Knockout City 
is a game that will be going offline forever this upcoming June. This was a game I personally worked on with a studio called Velen in New York. They are an absolutely incredible developer. They are probably the finest developer I've ever worked with. Uh, that's not praise I, I put on anyone uh, lightly. They previously shipped Mario Circuit. And if you remember that, that was an integration of AR into the Mario Kart franchise. So you would get these cars that had a little camera and they would actually drive around your house and the Nintendo Switch screen would display what the camera sees, but layer on uh, AR. They, so they would layer on the idea that you could, for instance, get power-ups. So you'd be going around your house throwing you know, virtual bananas and virtual turtles. And it was an absolutely incredible use of the technology. And they actually just announced an extension of that today with Hot Wheels, which I thought was really great to see as well. So they are taking what they already know and they're trying to master new domain. It's really great to see that stuff. But it's sad to see Knockout City go. And the history of this game has, has gone back and forth. It launched as a paid product, but there was a shareware launch. And then after that, it ended up being bought by the developer itself. So Velen bought it from EA and then republished the game as a free-to-play title. So this was kind of its last, I would say, last attempt to really see if it could accumulate some amount of users. And while I don't have any inside information, I mean, you can look at the SteamDB numbers. It just hasn't been successful in being able to get a mass awesome, uh, mass of players to engage with the product. And I would say, you know, the next question you start to ask when, when these things happen is, uh, you know, you want to do an autopsy. Sometimes time is the best medicine, but I can't help myself. There's a patient on the table. So I would say like the, the thing I've started to like get hooked on is whether or not, whether or not when you consider live ops content, you're really approaching it from a supply side economic basis. And so what I mean by that is whenever you think about what is your main content pipeline to a game, ultimately you're saying that that thing should be able to buy up a lot of units of retention. And so like when you think about something like Marvel Snap, which has lanes, these are content pipelines that Second Dinner has. So they can deploy these lanes, which change the gameplay. So there's a different puzzle you have to solve in the lane based on them being deployed. And so that affects quite a wide variety of things on the board. It affects your win objective. It can affect your hand. It's, it's an incredible puzzle that you have to end up solving. And so that buys a lot of units of retention relative to its cost, which is relatively low. And so I think about the dodgeballs that we had in this game, which was our main content pipeline. So players could pick up dodgeballs. It is called Knockout City. It is a dodgeball game. And they could throw them at other players, and those other players would lose lives. And so what we would do is we'd change the dodgeballs. So like one might lock on to someone else, or you might have dodgeballs hovering around you. And so the question is, is, you know, is that enough new content to master if we continue to produce more and different dodgeballs? And so I don't, I don't have the answer to that, but at least what I'm trying to think about is how many units of retention a new dodgeball would buy? How many hours of mastery would a player get out of that? And that's another thing I started to think about when we talk about cosmetic economies and HD games, is how many units of retention does a piece of cosmetic get you relative to a piece of gameplay and whether or not there's a, a better holy matrimony between those two things. But anyways, uh, sad to see it go. Um, I would say, you know, in, in, in 2023, uh, <laughs> free-to-play free is a great... A great thing to consider. I'd strongly take a look at that. Uh, a lot of major AAA games are going free to play. Uh, don't don't lose out on that. Hold on a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> I don't understand your conclusion based upon what you're saying. They went free to play. The game died. Or are you being sarcastic? So you, so you you have to launch big, right? I think that's the alternative thesis here: is that you have to get to some sort of networked mass. 
And I think that's very hard to do as a paid product. And remember, you've already burned your golden cohort if you've launched as a paid product. So they aren't I coming see, back. So that's a shot. That's a shot you only get to take once. Yeah, but all right. But it, a counter to that is Valheim, right? Which died within like a week or two weeks. And then um, I think the, the two... Uh, what was their content pipeline, uh, right? It goes back to that question. How are they buying units of right. retention with their content pipeline? And they struggled to answer that. Right. And then the, the battle royale, not the battle royale, but the, the, oh my God, what the, the name, the Nickelodeon and as well as the, the all-star Warner brawl Brothers. and the, the, the multiverse. Brawl. Yeah. And I think yeah. I'd go back, I'd go back to that same question, which is that your main content pipeline is a character. And so how many units of retention does that character buy you in that game? Yeah. And what I would say is that, well, that particular game should have just been premium and, and <laughs> it probably would have done well, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll stop talking about that particular game. But like, like if at any rate, these are going free to play and they're just dying on the vibe. So you're basically talking like not only do you have to release a quality game and get the buzz out, which both all three of those games did. It's just that you also have a content pipeline and invest in like in a huge amount of uh, content in order to keep it in people and players engaged, particularly the gold cohort. So I think a lot of games are failing and a lot of because there's a lot of competition in the market. So I don't know if I'd overweight a couple free to play games going down. I mean, there've been a lot of paid products, too. I think you're trying to maximize your opportunity, right? You're trying to maximize, you know, based on the resources you have, what is the most probabilistic way I can get the best outcome? And that to me is in a free to play world. Well, yeah, but but then well, you've got to factor in the constraints of having a publisher, right? How would that change the that that sort of question? I mean, just in terms of revenue distribution. Well, no, life of yeah, the project? no, but in, in, yes, but also in terms of support and where the re resources can be allocated, right? Like if you think about a, a big legacy console publisher, um, you know, they they are going to treat these bets like kind of like a like an, a professional investor would treat, um, you know, like outcomes uh, where they're chasing like the the kind of like long tail. So it's like okay, this this you know we'll we'll this could have been like a a a, a moderate commercial success or or actually like a really impressive commercial success for an indie team, um, but that's not going to be supportable in the context of like a you know a, a mega cap or you know sort of like a, a large public gaming company, right? Um, and so and they're going to want you to chase those extreme outcomes, and if if you're not trending towards them, they're just going to shut it down and. And starve you of resources, right? So I, I think that is a, there, there's a there's a separate set of concerns there when you're launching a game like this, thinking about premium versus free to play, and then okay, well, are we going to get marketing resources? Are we going to get uh, you know development resources for the content treadmill? Like, where's all this going to come from? And it's like it's either a massive success right out of the gate or it's not. And if it's not, then we're just not going to we're not going to continue throwing money at it, even though uh, from like just a profitability standpoint, that would make sense because there's opportunity costs on those resources, right? Chasing those big bets, those those long tail outcomes. Right. And on the flip side, a small company that is trying to build a free to play game, like the Valheim guys will not have the resources to build, you know, content for the next 12 to 18 months. Like they just won't have that, that capability. Right. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, it, it's a really challenging environment generally speaking and i don't even know if it's competition per se i just think it's like i go back always to the same thing it's the expectation of the consumer right so you've seen what a free-to-play service looks like it looks like fucking Fortnite, where they are literally 
or Apex, which they are literally delivering content, high production value game and content continuously or Genshin. Right. And like, dude, that's fucking hard. Right. That's expensive. You know, that's a that's a big bet. Like, you know, it, it actually makes sense, more sense for the bigger players to do premium game and, and, and actually recoup some of the, the dollars that they've invested. Um, so I think that's kind of what Eric was saying. But um, anyway, it, it is a challenging environment. Uh, I don't think the, the tools are out there for marketing these games as, as effectively as, as people might think um, to get, get the biggest audiences engaged. Um, and then obviously the resources to keep them there. So I don't know. What do you think, Phil? Anything? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all about maximizing net present game LTV. Um, and so it would, it'd be unfortunate to me if like the time-based effects made, made it harder for third-party publishers to make a bet on a live service. And so I, if I'm, if I'm understanding you correctly, Eric, are you saying that third-party developers would be less likely to pursue a live service game because the economics don't make sense. Like you get these early signals and you drop the project. If it doesn't work, you need a long-term commitment. Yes. I am saying that the free-to-play model only works in that context in which you need ongoing revenue and support in order to pay back the initial development, right? But... (laughs) They are, as Eric said, they are very short-term focused in terms of their their you know expectations, and yeah, they would pull the plug before they could actually return it, um, and so that puts you in a, in a tough spot, particularly from a AAA perspective, um, big publisher. So a premium model with free-to-play mechanics makes more sense in that context, right? But uh, to your point, you can't get the big audience that you need for cosmetic-based economies, right? So it's like, yeah, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And it just ta- it's going to take – and that's why, like, the games that have had seen success, like Rainbow Six, obviously GTA is a different story. But Rainbow Six, uh, For Honor, for instance, um, those smaller <coughs> games that were premium first, but then also provided a service to those core customers, Apex as well, even though Apex is a little bit bigger than both of those, clearly. Um, they all started as premium SKUs, right? I guess Rainbow Six didn't, though. But they had a different model. Anyway, it's a question for the ages, right? This is, I mean, for me, like, this is the whole point. My, my whole bold thesis is that people are going to figure this out this generation, right? Like, this is, this is like, this is what's going to help grow the market. Because I, I, as I said many times, I don't think the demographics expanding for console anytime soon. There's no content for a broader demographic. So the only way they're going to be able to grow this business fundamentally is with expansion of growing non-sports gaming free to, uh, uh, microtransaction stuff right and that is going to be both free to play and premium plus plus uh uh, uh microtransactions so that you know th- this is kind of what i'm trying to learn and understand is what what could be can be successful out there right so anyway it'll be interesting all right speaking of triple a and console markets um so i'm going to do an earnings summary right <laughs> I'll make it as simple as possible for all those who don't give a shit about earnings, okay? First of all, Call of Duty sucked the life out of the entire gaming industry this holiday, right? It hurt Apex, it hurt Destiny, it hurt Valorant, it hurt Fortnite, and it hurt all like other online services, I think, including GTA, right? And it also impacted new releases over holiday, things like, you know, uh, 
the hundredth version of Need for Speed and other things that came over this holiday. However, it also helped drive hardware. So Microsoft and Sony had an amazing hardware over holiday, um, and and it sets up an amazing console cycle, which I've been talking about for the last year or so. So I mean, like we are in the throes of the growth of the console cycle, and it's very, very, very good news for anybody that likes console games. Um, Nintendo is in transition. Dude, they just fucking puked this quarter, right? They just did not do a lot well on hardware. Software was better. Uh, particularly Pokemon was pretty good, but they did disappoint both on hardware and software profitability. The stock's gotten hurt. I'm not looking too smart on this one, so I will, I'll take a L on this one. <laughs> but, um, but that doesn't mean... They just need to get another piece of fucking hardware out there to re-engage the customer. God damn it. So get a goddamn get get your shit together and get some hardware out there. And I think Nintendo will be fine and they'll they'll grow and continue to do what they do with the Switch. Um and then finally, mobile is a fucking dumpster fire. Like fundamentally, thanks to Apple, mobile game recession. Um they destroyed EA's results to some degree. That was a big part of why they missed take two. <laughs> just looked terrible. Right. I mean, they just they revised guidance down again, uh, even though the stock was up like seven percent for other reasons, which I won't go into. Um, and and for take two, this is the gift that's going to keep on giving. Right. Like they, it's not they're not out of the woods yet. Right. And, and it's just the, mo- the most moronic acquisition ever, or at least the moronic in terms of timing. Strategically, it makes sense. But timing was just dumb. So we're waiting to see Unity, Iron Source and AppLovin results. But I imagine that's not going to be very pretty as well. Um, and, uh, even though Facebook looked, looked decent relative to expectations. Uh, so anyway, fundamentally we're back to the same kind of thing is that I think the console business is looking pretty good and the mobile business is looking pretty bad. Um, and it's going to be a struggle, uh, for the mobile business going forward. The January data looks horrific, horrific. It's getting worse. (laughs) It's getting worse. Revenues down downloads, maybe like somewhat flatlining and improving maybe in some areas, but for the most part, um, for the Western markets, it's not looking good. Um, and, uh, and so yeah, long console, short mobile. (laughs) In today's global gaming marketplace, your players want to pay how they want, when they want, and where they want. Accepting localized forms of payments and keeping up with what's trending is key to growing your gaming business and to finding new untapped markets. That's where Exola Payments comes in. With just one simple integration, you'll be connected to over 700 localized preferred payment methods on a global scale, including bank cards, digital wallets, mobile payments, cash kiosks, gift cards, special offers, and more. Plus, with Exola acting as your merchant of record, they assume the risk of cost of complex VATs, sales taxes, laws, and regulations. Leave every transaction to the experts while you focus on retaining and expanding your audience. You can get started today. Just head over to exola.pro slash paystation or look for the link in the description of this episode. Exola Payments, it's what your gaming business needs to succeed. Just, just quickly on that. That Zynga acquisition may be seen in a few years as like one of the most ill-advised acquisitions in gaming of all time. 
I said that from day one. <laughs> I, like, well, just but so obvious. But keep in mind that it was announced after ATT. And while Zynga was saying that Rollick is our growth vector, Rollick is the source of all the growth or the majority of growth in our portfolio. And it's, it was priced at a premium. Like, I don't understand. Like, it just didn't make any sense. I mean, okay. I won't say it didn't make sense because I think strategically it made sense. The timing didn't make sense and the price didn't make sense. But I right. think complimentary, there are, comp, you know, there are complimentary aspects of it. And, and I was probably more pro it at the time uh, that it was, well, I was pro the idea of it, but, but yeah, I mean like that, that seems like it's just got to be a write-off. Well, that, this is going to be, yeah, that would be the ultimate, like, um, what's the right word for it? The, that, that'd be the ultimate capitulation that he really messed up. If they write this thing down, which by the end of this year, maybe by this mid this year, that may be a, a possibility because of how poorly they're performing. And, you know, if they're, they're reducing, you know, I think they're reducing, likely reducing UA spend, which will be, you know, further like accelerate this deceleration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing at my own self. All right, but uh, but if, if that happens, yeah, that that's just I, I've never seen anything this bad before in terms of an acquisition, right? To to lose that much value. Um, now the stock is up, right? So clearly, Wall Street's looking at different things, right? And I, I'm not going to go into it, but if you want to talk about <laughs> Take Two and the future, you know, let me know, and I will uh, we can chat about it. But um, yeah, but this 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 Zynga thing is like the biggest destruction of value I've ever seen in an acquisition in video games. Period. End of sentence. Much well, worse than much worse than glue, which was <laughs> it doesn't get much worse than glue. You know, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine I'm saying these words that it's worse than glue, but it certainly is from a value perspective. Well, the, so the thing about the Zynga acquisition is like it could have made sense if if the strategy there was more around like unifying identity and doing that kind of thing. But like that's not and that's that was my point at the time. But that's absolutely not what they've done. And if you look at everything no. that Zynga's announcing, it's like it's 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 inexplicable. Like they're 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 building like a mediation platform. <laughs> what are you talking about? I think like the stuff that they're doing just makes no sense like they acquired uh what's it called the the storefront um you know i'm talking about storm maven or whatever was it storm maven or the other one yeah i I know what you're talking about why did they do that what is what are they it's like they're clearly still trying to build chart boost as a like it like a sort of uh enterprise tool instead of just this internal platform like it doesn't make sense like why are they none of those things actually sort of play into the strategic value of Zynga as an asset, right? Which should have been, you know, an internal mobile platform for the broader portfolio. And they're, they're still like positioning Chartboost as if it can like compete in the mobile, you know, advertising market, which is down. That market's shrinking. Why are you pushing resources into it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we go back to what we said, or what I said anyway, right when the acquisition was done, like for Take Two, this was about building an empire. They want to compete directly against Activision and EA. You know, the only way Strauss can do that is with a mobile arm to create a bigger company to be with the big boys and to be, you know, thirty billion dollar valuation. Right? It's all ego, right? At that stage, like that in that in that world, right? I think anyway, and they and they do this acquisition to do that, right? But the and and the only way they can get big enough 
to make that claim or to, to, to fill that ego is by doing something as big as Zynga, right? And so from that perspective, I 100% understand why they did it, right? But the problem is that the advisors there, whether it's the McKenzie or Goldman or whoever the fuck was talking to him, didn't give him the right information about the risks associated with doing an acquisition right when ATT was like when Apple was fucking over everybody. You know, it's like it, it blows my mind because we've been talking about this for like a year and a half, two years. It, you could talk to either of us and we would have told you that, that this is not a smart acquisition at this time. You will be able to get this for 50% less in like six months even yeah. or a year. You know, if, if they were asking me, I would have, that's exactly what I would have said at the time, right? Because the, they had no pipeline. They were out of acquisitions. Their games are starting to flatline and decline. AT&T was like just completely destroying their UA market. Like, so we talked about this back then. And so it's like the fact that the, his advisors, Strauss's advisors, were not forthcoming about the, these risks that were there. And I'm sure they put it on a PowerPoint slide, but they were not. They were just letting him do his thing. You know, it's just it's criminal. Almost whoever advised him on this acquisition should be ashamed of themselves, right? They, I mean, they should be just, they, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and in any normal, sorry, last thing I'll say in any normal type environment, Strauss would have fired, right? Like that, but th- this is not the world in which we live in, right? Strauss has way too much pull with the uh, uh, shareholders and stuff because he's done such an amazing job up to this point. Um, so, but you know, any CEO would have been fired for something like this, generally speaking, but not, not in this case. Um, so anyway, I, you know, they're in a tough spot with that acquisition and, and, and I guess what I would, the last thing I'll say is that maybe wall street will just ignore that and just, Hey, GTA is coming. <laughs> like that's basically what it's all about. Right. So anyway, you don't care, you know, like write it off. Who cares? Well, I saw we'll it. there was, uh, someone was, uh, I don't remember who, but someone was like pontificating on the. Uh, hypothetical of Activision buying Take Two if the Microsoft deal doesn't go through, and then you'd have Call of yeah. Duty and Red Dead Redemption and GTA in the same publisher or whatever. That'd be interesting, but then you wonder, like, okay, well, if it was cloud gaming that you know prevented Microsoft from buying Activision, would just control of the existing large gaming market be a factor? And I feel like you'd look at like these two kind of smallish, not small, but like, you know, not mega cap, you know, big tech combining as probably, you know, but not owning the hardware is probably being much more permissible than, you know, the, the more vertically integrated Microsoft Activision. Uh, uh, permissible, I agree. But also from, from my perspective, I don't think that is more a big risk from a gamer perspective or from a consumer perspective. Because they still would be competing across multiple like big platforms, right. Right? yeah, and they don't own <laughs> the know, hardware, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's only when you own the hardware that that things get really dicey in terms of of how how uh, your position within the marketplace and what your power is and your ability to f- screw over other platforms, right? Um, yeah, and you know what's yeah, sorry. Back to this uh, Microsoft thing is like, sorry, never mind. I, I don't want to go away with that again, but. Um, it, I, I don't know if that deal is possible. It, it is possible, right? Mike, but, Microsoft Take uh, Two, that one. No, no, no. no, no Activision no, no. Take Two. Activision Take oh, okay. Two. Um, but I think there's a lot of challenges with that getting that deal done as well, frankly. Um, but uh, but Bobby is that ambitious, 
right? Um, so, so hold well, on. Wait, if, who knows? if Activision did buy Take Two, I'm not saying that they're going to. That would be so interesting of what what they would do with King and Zynga. I know, I know, y'all end up focusing on a lot of the console side, but from I'm just thinking of the Zynga games, the Zynga casual games, and then everything that you know, the King Powerhouse. How interesting that could be, and what they would do. They yeah. keep them separate, or if they would they would take Zynga and then Look, put them under. Anyway, I'm I, I'm going to say this one more time because I've said <laughs> this a gajillion times in the podcast, right? I have mad respect for what King has done with two puzzle games, right? They're, they're a puzzle gaming powerhouse, behemoth, right? But they, they can't do anything with anything else. Like, they, they, they have no experience, like, running anything besides that, right? You throw a social casino game at them. They, they don't know what to do with that, right? Oh, I'm thinking they're, of they're the, marketing... the Peak acquisition. So they have, they have Peak, they have the Toon Blast, Toy Blast, Harry Potter, Puzzle, and Spells. I, I think you keep them... Separate. <laughs> I just think you can let, let let King do. King doesn't need to do anything else. Just let them do what they do. Like they have been left to their own devices, and they're fucking knocking it out of the goddamn park, right? Yeah. So it's just like, but don't put them in response. Don't give them responsibilities for anything else. You know, like that just seems like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, but, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't give Zynga access to King's. Yeah. No. Uh, hell yeah. Hell royal, no. royal yeah, hell jewels, no. and I wouldn't. I wouldn't no, necessarily no. think that King would be good at managing the publishing of Zynga's games. I would keep those totally separate. I mean, I agree. I don't think the deal could go through. So right now, Take-Two market cap is uh, 18 bill. Um, I think what I remember reading was that, like, I don't remember exactly what the breakup fee was, but if the breakup happened and they got that fee, total cash uh, that Activision would have would be 16 bill. You know, you finance half of it with debt. Like, I don't know. It doesn't seem totally unrealistic. But they'd have to offer a pretty big premium too, so you're probably talking more like 24 or something. But I don't know; doesn't seem outlandish. It doesn't seem impossible. <laughs> if that yeah, happens, well, I would write up an like a theory of how they should how the uh, King and Zynga should interact. But I'm not going to do that unless that actually becomes a possibility. Anyway, that would be super interesting, though. Um, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna round it out. Uh, with and this is just me justifying making this point again by you know the <laughs> existence of an article on the topic. But Pocket Gamer uh, had some reporting on their PGC London conference, which I was not able to attend, but I heard um, as as you know as historically has been the case that it was excellent. I wish I could have gone. I always love Pocket Gamer London. I love Pocket Gamer London and Pocket Gamer Helsinki. Those are my two favorite mobile gaming conferences. Um, and then mobile advertising is, is MAU. Um, but anyway, uh, pocket game, and this, I'm late to this pocket gamer published this January 30th, but at the pocket gamer event, um, Alex, she, uh, apologies if I mispronounced the name of voodoo, the, uh, the well-known hyper casual games developer based in Paris gave a talk. And in that talk, he made the statement that hyper casual is dead period. End of sentence. <laughs> now, uh, it, the article uh, didn't provide a whole lot of context. Apparently, people that were in the uh, audience said that you know the the context of that statement was that um, you know there none of uh, Voodoo's newest games that were successful were hyper casual, right? So that the hyper casual games market has is has less turnover now than it did. But that was always 
the 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 sort of commercial premise of hyper casual. It's that you know these games are turning over very quickly. You launch a game, it rockets up. It's it's popular for a week or whatever. Um, you know, you're recouping your at your uh, your your uh, CAC in like a day, um, and you're just constantly churning out content. If if there's no new hit games, well, then yeah, you could interpret you do interpret that as hyper casual is dead. Then the production lines have stopped, right? Like the uh, the 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 supply chain is broken. The conveyor belt is is uh, is is not working anymore, right? Now I'll read from the article. It says, however, one key takeaway from speaker Alex Shea was his statement that hypercasual is dead, which for a publisher that made its name in hypercasual is a pretty bold thing to say. The evidence for such a statement, she observed that all the hypercasual games which Voodoo published and proved successful in 2022 were existing titles rather than newly developed ones, right? Now, why is hypercasual dead? Well, I would say it's dead for two reasons, right? One is ATT. ATT broke that whole economic model, right? Because hypercasual. Uh, ads are mostly sold to hypercasual developers. It's this very sort of strange, almost like wash trading approach. Well, how does that keep a game afloat? How does that sustain a subcategory? Well, because every once in a while, uh, a casual game developer will will buy uh, traffic from a new hypercasual game via network, uh, not not knowing that they're doing that. And once they realize, okay, wow, this is the new hypercasual game that's going viral. That's where all these users are coming from. They're of very poor quality. They will blacklist that hypercasual title, but they can't preemptively blacklist it because they don't know that it's going to launch. And the networks <laughs> kind of sneak the traffic in there. And so that's just the game we play. Now, the core developers also poach uh, known high value users from the hypercasual traffic, right? So since people are pricing that traffic very low uh, from the network SDK side, the big uh, social casino companies and the big uh, 4X uh, strategy companies were looking on the programmatic side for the IDFA. And when they see this known high value IDFA pop up in a hyper casual game, they would poach it and they would pay less for it than they deem it to be worth because people are bidding very low on that traffic on the SDK basis, right? And so that's how that traffic trading uh, whirling circle was sustained by actual CPMs because people were poaching those users with IDFAs, which are no longer available. And because they were getting the traffic from the uh, ad networks, uh, the SDK traffic, right? Well, ATT broke one of those use cases. And now Google's ad restrictions have broken the other use case, right? So you'll remember in July, uh, Google announced that effective late September, they were introducing this better ads experience policy, right? And they were going to break a lot of the sort of like very hostile um, ads mechanics that that developers were using to sort of force people to click on ads or prevent them from being able to close the ads or just showing a ton of ads uh, in the middle of the content experience, right? And at the time, I wrote on Twitter, July 30th, Google's forthcoming restrictions around ad placements and Android apps are absolutely going to kill the hyper-casual gaming category, right? And then that was apparently controversial because I got a lot of pushback. And people said, no, no one uses these tactics. Google's just doing it uh, to make sure their policy is robust, to make sure they've, they're covering all possible uh, uh, cases of abuse. But no one actually uses those ad formats. Uh, that's, that's, they're just hypothetical. And Google wants to make sure that their policy protects against uh, the possibility of them being used. And I said, no, that's not true. Um, if you And I did an analysis. And I basically um, looked at every single game, every single game on Android that was launched in 2022 right, that reached top 100 downloaded, and in some cases reached top 10, and had a rating less than three, right? I looked at all those games, and there were a lot of them. There were about two a month, one every other week that launched, rocketed up into the top download chart, 
and then rocketed back down um, and had a rating less than three. Well, how could a game get to top 10 downloaded if it was so bad? Well, because they had these ads that you open the game and you immediately start getting bombarded with them. Right now, that drove a lot of monetization. And because it drove a lot of monetization, they could spend UA shooting the game up to the top. Most hyper casual games didn't use those mechanics, but the ones that did fed the rest of the category with new users, right? And when you when you cut off that spigot, that whole traffic trading dynamic is just going to collapse because there's nothing underneath it supporting it with actual CPMs. That's what I think is happening. That apparently was controversial when I said it, but now that Voodoo has said it, I think we can all accept it <laughs> as settled science. <laughs> Thank God, dude. Let's just put a fucking pin in this thing, you know? I, I have to get on the podcast with Matei and, uh, and Man Bun Dude, like, in the next couple of weeks. And I have to, like, argue again about UA and where we are on this thing. And I'm, and yeah, and, and they're, I think their primary business is these hyper casual stuff. So I look forward to it, to engaging. Now, of course, I won't be able to repeat what you just said because I'm clearly not that smart, but I will just basically keep reiterating the fact that everyone everyone I talk to says that this stuff is dead so it's dead yeah Over. I mean it's doesn't matter what my hypothesis for why it died is voodoo is saying it's dead it's dead now you could say they're talking <laughs> their book because they launched a casual studio or they're doing casual publishing yeah. and they're doing web three well why are they doing that why are they okay, doing so that? here's here's the lifeline I will give to to the hyper casual business and I think I've alluded to this before is that what I do think though is that these hyper casual style gameplay mechanics may be a key to uh, acquiring users in this new world order that Apple has wrought upon the industry right so if if you believe that it's gonna be very challenging to attract the the whales, then maybe you attract a broader audience with more casual style gameplay to get them in the ecosystem to increase the funnel that, that, and and you add like, you know, more deeper monetization is, and it's kind of what I think Voodoo is actually trying to do is, am I correct in that? Like they are basically trying to build more monetization within their games. So attract a big audience, but then also try to monetize them better as opposed to use, leveraging them for ads. Yeah, is probably. That, yeah, and if, and if you can afford yeah. to do that, if you don't need to monetize the hyper-casual games, then sure, don't put any ads in them. Only put cross-promo in them and let them take off and then push people into your own portfolio. That makes sense. Right, right. And so maybe if they do pivot, and they will be in a good position for the new world order that we're, we're in, right, in theory. Well, but they, but, but they uh, need to retool because a lot of these hyper-casual, the big hyper-casual gaming companies are not game developers. They're just publishers. Like, they didn't yeah, actually exactly. have internal exactly. studios. <laughs> Exactly. And then so the, so this is the argument I know they're going to throw back at me. But at the, at the end of the day, by definition, they're no longer hyper casual. Right. Like if, if you're building like deep monetization design within games, then you're just a fucking game developer. Right. right. That you're just making, building games. Right. That's um, so that was like that was my argument, too. It's people say, no, well, they're just going to build different types of games. They're not going to die. Well, OK. But if you were building like horse drawn carriages and then you transition to building automobiles, Maybe the, maybe the name on the sign is the same, but you're not the same company anymore. <laughs> yes. Phil, you have nothing on this? I mean, this is I, your wheelhouse, dude. I, I, I have nothing to say here. I mean, it looked like it was doomed from the start. I mean, I, I, I could never back out into the theory of why hypercasual makes sense because they get blasted with ads. And so it's, I, I thought maybe that you could optimize and try to get someone to your its highest valued use, like it's audience farming that I think you guys were referring to. But even that seems to me 
extremely hard to sell. Like, why wouldn't I go directly to the, the source? You know, I don't, th there's nothing worth farming. Um, so I, I, I don't, I, when people describe hyper casual to me and I just started to ask them about the mechanics of the game, <laughs> like hyper casual, like it does not have Archero like mechanics. Like Archero is not a hyper casual game. They left that boat a really long time ago. So if you're making that game, you're not making a hyper casual game. So yeah. I think the, the label never really made sense to me in a lot of the examples I've been given. Yeah. All right, guys, I have to call it at that. Um, have a good one. Stay out of trouble. Um, and we'll see you guys next week. Take care. See ya. See ya. Peace. You did it. You made it to the end of the episode. As a fan of the show, it would help us out if you subscribe and leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice. More importantly, are you a member of the Deconstructor of Fun Slack group? If you have five years or more of games industry experience, go to deconstructorofun.com slash slack and apply to join. Join the games industry's best professional community filled with peers always willing to lend a hand. Or subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest insights from the Deconstructor of Fun content creators. Thanks for listening.